This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hello! Welcome back to another episode. I am so thankful that you are here. I'm so glad that you pressed play today. Hopefully we are again doing something fun and exciting like going for a walk outside or driving somewhere cool in the car. Wherever you listen to podcasts, I am so glad that you chose to bring me along with you. I love that. So today I am going to shift focus a little bit and we're going to talk about picky eaters. So picky eaters is something that if you are a parent, you may have had at least a little bit of experience with this in some way. I know I hear a lot of people talk about their kids who are picky eaters. Uh, I also hear adults that are picky eaters. So it's not just kids. It's not just toddlers. I think we all get an image in our mind of, you know, the toddler only eating one type of food, not anything else. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I want to talk um, also about kind of some of your fears around picky eaters and some of the common causes of picky eaters. Like I always talk about root cause. There are some root causes to being picky eaters. And then uh, I'll go over some general tips for uh, specifically toddlers, um, but they can some of them can be applied to older kids as well. Um, so, and then I have a few uh, resources that we can talk about too at the end that might be, if this is something that's of concern to you, there are some good books out there that I can recommend, um, towards the end. So, um, again, if you're kind of newer to listening to the show, um, I'm a clinical nutritionist and I am also the mom of four. So I understand kid eating patterns. (laughs) Um, I've had my fair share of, Uh, feeding children over the last, you know, decade or so. So, um, you know, generally speaking, though, I'm just focusing the conversation around um, kids who don't have any sensory issues. So there's kind of a whole different level that we can talk about when it comes to children, either on the autism spectrum or different sensory or processing disorders. They kind of take a different approach than a child who does not. Um, So today we're just focusing on uh, non-sensory issues when it comes to eating. Um, And if, if you personally need some resources on uh, if your child does have sensory processing disorders or autism spectrum disorders, that type of thing, uh, please reach out to me. I can connect you with nutritionists who specialize in that field, and hopefully they can get you the help that um, that you are looking for. So let's break it down and talk a little bit first about our fears, fears as a parent. So we all have fears when it comes to kids, but what are you most afraid of in terms of their nutrition? Do you fear that they're not growing? Are you being told that they're lacking in, you know, certain nutrients or lacking in growth? Um, Are you, you know, is the doctor telling you that they're not getting enough food? You know, addressing what your anxieties and fears are around your kids' eating habits is really important. Um, If you're anxious, your kids will be anxious. So if there's always this food battle or this food anxiety around mealtime, your kids will pick up on that and they'll feel it too. 
There's a whole lot of pressure and anxiety when it comes to food and, and specifically kid food and feedings that, um, that we need to take a look at because that can sometimes be the start of things. If your fears are around nutritional concerns for your child, like they aren't getting enough of the proper nutrients, um, we can talk a little bit about what an actual serving size is for a toddler. And spoiler alert, it's not very much. They don't need a whole lot. I think sometimes we can tend to overfeed and get uh, frustrated and, and um, concerned when they don't eat a portion that's maybe two or three or four times what they actually need. So uh, maybe your fear is around your child not growing properly, you know, according to the doctor's charts. So which sidebar, the weight charts, again, is is taking weight into account for overall health. And that's not always the case, as I've probably told you, you know, time and time again, that um, th- that weight doesn't determine health all the time. So, but I want to share a quick story, a, a personal story about one of my kids and their growth. So when my son, who's three now, but he, as an infant, as a baby, he was, in the lower percentile for weight. His height was fine, lower percentile for weight. In fact, he at one point was in the fifth percentile, five percentile for weight um, for a few months. And at around four months or so, uh, the doctor told me to not only start giving him solids, but to feed him carbs and sugars to fatten him up. Like that, that was her advice. You need to feed him carbs and sugars. Now, Enough research has shown that babies shouldn't eat solid foods until at least six months, if not, you know, postponed into a little bit longer. And being that this was my fourth child, and by now I, you know, had an advanced degree in nutrition, I knew that this advice was not ideal for what our situation was. But if I was a new mom, I would have been panicking. I would have thought, oh my gosh, my baby is, is not growing and you know all these things. And, and then of course, guilt and shame that we as mothers and fathers probably uh, have. I mean, there's, there's just a downward spiral. But babies should not be fed solid food sooner than six months. In some cases, even later. Their little tiny guts are just too immature to handle solid foods and properly break them down. They simply lack the enzymes that break down the nutrients. So meaning even if, in my son's case, even if he was able to break it down, or even if he was able to eat it, he might not be able to break it down and absorb it. So again, in my son's case, he had extreme eczema. So for those of you who don't know, eczema is that you know patchy, scaly, kind of flaky skin in, in certain spots. Um, like his was pretty severe. His face, his head, his elbows, his knees were all super chafed and cracked and kind of oozing. And he had to wear those little socks on his hands because he would scratch at his face and break it open. It was a mess. In the nutrition world, though, most skin issues stem from some sort of gut issue. So we'll talk more about that in future episodes. But if you have skin issues, specifically eczema or psoriasis, there's a strong connection to your gut. So knowing this and having him uh, also have a severe egg reaction, (laughs) it kind of told me that he was suffering from leaky gut. So it's super common in babies. Um, His most likely was kind of one that babies are usually born with actually leaky gut. Their gut is just not mature enough to be healed and sealed yet. 
Um, but he also had antibiotic use from uh, ear infections, which is that prime time that ear, uh, antibiotics are given to kids is right around, you know, that first year of life, which is looking back on it, I cringe. I was like, oh man, I should not have given him antibiotics during a time where his gut was clearly a mess to begin with. But, you know, you have to do what's best in the situation. Anyways, I told the pediatrician that uh, in that moment when she said I needed to fatten him up, I told the pediatrician that I wanted to actually remove some things, remove gluten and dairy um, from my own diet. And she almost laughed at me. Keep in mind, he was breastfed. So um, I told her that that's kind of where I wanted to start. And I didn't want to introduce solid foods yet because, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel in my gut that he was ready for it. Um, she, she almost laughed. <laughs> she told me that I shouldn't be removing anything and that he needed more food. Well, so I went home frustrated, but I removed dairy and gluten and gave him some probiotics and allowed his gut lining to heal and, you know, repopulate the good beneficial bacteria. And we went back a couple months later and his skin was cleared up. He had no more eczema and wouldn't you know it, he had grown into the 20th percentile from the fifth percentile. So in, in my point of view, once his gut healed, he could then absorb the nutrients and he could start thriving again. So the point is, if you have a fear that your child is not growing properly, I encourage you to seek out all the possible root causes because most likely picky eating is not it. Toddlers have this ingrained ability to regulate their own nutrition. It's an ingrained ability that uh, that we're all born with. And some days you may even notice that they only eat one type of food and then refuse kind of their normal go-to foods. And some days they eat maybe one little bite. Other days they might eat more than a grown man. Like it can vary. But at that age, your job is to just let them self-regulate and provide them with a variety of healthy food options. I get that it is frustrating to make a batch of whatever and they eat one bite or don't eat it at all and then you feel like it's wasted. But truly in the grand scope of things, it is beneficial for them to self-regulate when they eat or how much they're eating. So think of it this way. Toddlers have no reference or context when it comes to food. It's new. It's Everything is new and it's unfamiliar to them. And they can be very, very skeptical. You may have a skeptical eater on your hands or you may have one that is a free-for-all. It doesn't matter. But remember, infants know when to stop eating. Babies know when to stop eating, whether they're nursing. And sometimes there's some, there's some controversy around bottle feeding um, because sometimes babies will finish the whole bottle even though they're full. Um, but that, that's kind of being uh, argumented right now in the nutrition world. Um, but they will stop eating on their own. And toddlers are really no different. Kids eventually learn to disregard the, the ability to listen to their hunger cues and their full cues because of us, <laughs> of parents, parent involvement. It's not malicious, of course. It often comes out of love and fear on the parent's part, but it teaches the child to ignore their fullness and their hunger patterns and learn outside cues instead. So this this happens when we're like, finish your plate, you gotta eat more, just one more bite, try this, da, 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 da. you know, we say all these things. And it's out of a place of love and probably concern if we feel like they're not eating enough, but we don't know what their body needs all the time. They might know. Sometimes you might notice that, you know, like for example, another example with my own kids, one night one of my kids didn't eat hardly any dinner and 
in my gut, I was like, oh my gosh, like they need to eat more. They're not going to go. I, I went through all those things, but we just let them ride it out. And the next day, you know what happened? She barfed everywhere. <laughs> like she, she was battling a stomach bug. So had we force fed her and made her eat more and be, you know, to please us, that would have caused some internal conflict with her because she, her body was telling her that it was sick. It wasn't, it wasn't ready to take in food at the moment. So over time, this can become a problem, as you may assume, that adults tend to pay attention to outside cues over the years. Like, you know, like, oh, I reached the bottom of the bag or I, I cleaned my plate and there's no more food. Those are outside cues to tell us that we need to stop eating. Um, and those are learned. Outside cues are learned and internal cues then have to be relearned. There's a lot of adults that I work with who simply lost the um the trust or ability in their own body to understand when they're actually full and how much food will actually fill them up. So a lot of times that's less than we think. Um, there's actually a book, like I mentioned, I, I have some resources, but there's a book called Child of Mine, and that is by Ellen Satter. I'll, I'll post, post, post the link in the show notes. Um, but it's a great resource if you're interested in, in reading more about this topic. Um, she... Uh, has some great ideas in there. I don't agree with everything, but she has some really good concepts about um, feeding. And one of the things that she teaches around the behavioral components, um, which I think are just fantastic, are uh, they center around the concept of division of responsibility. So uh, this means that your job as the parent is to provide the what, the when, and the where around food. And your child's job is to decide how much and whether, meaning whether or not they will eat it. So they can decide if they're going to eat it and how much to eat, but you decide what they're having, when they're going to eat, and where they sit to eat. So having these clear divisions allows for trust and security around food. And when a parent starts to creep into the child's role, meaning they're forcing them to eat more or to finish their plate, then that's where the power struggles come from. And that's where the resistance starts to form. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because as I'm, I, I do research on different things, I always like to highlight the things that I think are super valuable, especially with what I see from clients and, and working with different groups and everything. Um, I see a lot of the same concerns come up. And I felt that that book really uh, did a, a really good job of giving, giving ideas on how to best regulate that. So let's talk about some possible root causes when it comes to picky eating. So there are the sensory challenges, uh, like I mentioned before. So a lot of this is coming about now, um, different textural issues, processing things. Um, it's a it's a whole kind of different world when it when it comes to picky eaters with sensory issues. And again, if you uh, feel like you need some more resources on that, please reach out to me. I can uh, find you some really good resources on that. So then we have physical challenges, which this doesn't get a lot of attention, but it is something, especially if you are like a speech therapist or anything like that, you might, this might be your world. So things like lip ties, and uh, especially when dealing with um, smaller kids, you know, babies and toddlers, if they have a physical lip tie or an underdeveloped 
motor abilities um, and, and that can that can really cause issues with their chewing capabilities and when they can't properly chew things that can they can lead to choking that can scare them with certain foods that can become a whole kind of thing so definitely some physical challenges that to look into if you feel like you have a picky eater have their doctor kind of assess them for some of that or maybe seek out specialists like um, occupational therapists speech therapists uh, that type of thing that can help uh, address that or, or diagnose that also medical issues um, intolerances and allergies are a huge cause for picky eating. It's really, it kind of stems back to what I mentioned before about kids having this ingrained ability to self-regulate food. They also have, and, and we as adults have this too, but we have so much more uh, baggage, if you will, kind of around food and food choices and food patterns and all that. We tend to ignore it. But if you're intolerant or uh, have allergic issues with certain foods, um, you can grow aversions to them. And that might, might appear to be picky eating, but really it's their body saying, I am intolerant to that. I can't process that. I'm allergic to that. Um, and then, of course, we have negative experiences. So if your child had a negative experience with either choking on a food, um, being force-fed food, uh, I, I can't tell you how many adults I talk to now who refuse certain vegetables because they were forced to eat them and clean their plate and be a part of the Clean Your Plate Club in uh, in their childhood. Now it's causing issues that they don't want to eat vegetables now as an adult. So, um, so that can cause uh, picky eating. Uh, things like if they threw up after eating a, a certain food. I mean, think about that. If if you had a food and then you threw up after it, you're going to associate that unpleasant experience with that food. And that could lead to picky eating, what, what appears to be picky eating later on. So kind of think back if your child had any negative experience with a food in any way and, and really view it through the lens of your child. So for you, like maybe they gagged a little bit on a food by accident and to you that it wasn't a big deal, but to them, it might've been super scary. So it, it may be enough to cause an aversion to a type of food or a food group or a food consistency. If something was slimy and they kind of gagged on it, anything that has a similar texture may, may cause that same reaction, if that makes sense. Um, and then of course, like temperament and power struggles. So this is in and of itself can be, uh, kind of further dissected. I almost said digested. I've got food on the brain dissected. It can kind of be broken down even more. So, what is that power struggle about? You know, if there, if, if there's, it's, it's a pattern. If it's a constant thing where you feel like there's a power struggle when it comes to food, usually the child is seeking control because something else feels out of control. So especially in like around the toddler years, there's a lot going on. You know, is there a new baby in the house or a, a new pregnancy? Is there a divorce? Was there a death in the family? Uh, maybe they're in a new house or a new school. And sometimes even those progressing milestones, like potty training or a big kid bed or, you know, new shoes or types of shoes, you know, new bike, you know, those types of things can cause them to lose their sense of control, which results in them kind of grasping for anything that they can control. So couple that with getting a reaction out of the parent, and now it's become a thing. So so if they get any type of reaction based on how much food they eat or how much food they don't eat or what they choose to eat or not eat, if the parents are like, oh, you know, giving them all this attention and kind of spazzing out about it, it's going to become an even bigger thing. So there are many underlying factors um, or, or kind of more layers than just being labeled as a picky eater. So let's talk a little bit quickly about 
some general tips for toddler feeding. Now, this will make me very unpopular. (laughs) So bear with me. I'm okay with being the bad guy. So first of all, don't be a short order cook. Just stop. Unless you are dealing with allergies, feed everyone the same thing. Now, of course, having to cut up certain foods like steak or grapes or hot dogs or whatever is, of course, necessary based on their you know, development and their abilities. Um, but give everyone the same choices. You provide the food. Remember, that's your division of responsibility. You provide the food. The child selects whether they eat it and how much they eat. So this will feel strange in the beginning. It will especially if you've been doing this for a while. If your family is used to you doing it for a while, it will feel strange. But over a few meals, your child will start to notice who eats what and what kind of reaction they get from making their choices and how foods make them feel, which is the whole point. We want to connect the dots between what they're eating and how they feel. Um, They will also feel involved with the family and part of the family when everyone is kind of eating the same types of foods. Now, I want to take one little side note. They don't have to like everything. So don't feel like you're failing if your kid does not like, you know, chicken or whatever you're eating. It's okay. They are allowed to have their own food preferences, but they still need to try certain things and be a part of the family. Um... Also connecting, if you have kind of older toddlers, older kids or older older toddlers, um, connecting them with what the food will do for their body. Simply talking about how, you know, protein will help their muscles grow strong. Fruits and veggies will help them grow tall, things like that. Tie it into whatever your child is into at the time. I have one child who used to be obsessed with American Ninja Warrior. So we talked about how the food she's eating will help make her strong and fast and jump high and go up the (laughs) warped wall and all of that. And I have another one who wants her hair to be as long as Rapunzel. So we talk about how certain foods help her hair grow. We even talk about poop at the dinner table. (laughs) Yeah, if my kid complains that their tummy is hurting, my first question is always, do you have to go to the bathroom? If they say it's been a day or so since they've gone, or if it hurt the last time they went, we talk about how veggies and fiber make it easier and more comfortable to go and how much how, how water can play a role in that as well and how that's important to have. Um, so when, when my kids have had uh, trouble going to the bathroom, I'll say, how many veggies did you have yesterday? And they'll kind of think back and say, oh, no, I didn't have one at lunch or I didn't have one whenever. And I'm like, do you think maybe that can cause the issues that you're having now. And a lot of times they'll be like, yeah, maybe. And then they'll have another veggie at at dinner or another veggie at snack or whatever. So kids are very, very receptive. And you don't have to be an expert in nutrition to give them this information. You can simply tell them generally what a food does for their body. They don't need to know what form of vitamin A is best absorbed. (laughs) Leave that to me. It's fine. Um, But generally speaking, they are very receptive for this information. They like to learn how things work. They like to learn how their bodies grow and how what will make them um, help them achieve their goals. So Definitely tie that in and and find ways to help tie that in and get them involved. Have them help find the foods in the store, wash the foods, rip the lettuce, set the table, stir the sauce, whatever it is, it will get them more invested and interested in what you're doing. Um, And also this might seem obvious, 
But make sure your child is actually hungry at dinner time or at meal time, and not necessarily starving, but just hungry. Figuring out the timing of your snacks is going to be key for this. So having planned snacks during the day. Um, snacking is actually an important part of a child's nutrition plan. They, they should really be treated kind of more as tiny meals. Uh, snacks don't mean treats. I think that gets confused a lot. Snacking does not mean treats necessarily. Uh, because a toddler's stomach can only hold a tiny amount of food at one time. A snack should be a source of the needed nutrients your child needs that they don't completely get at each meal. Um, and the timing of snacks is going to be important. So going long enough after a meal where the child feels a, a bit of hunger and, and they learn that skipping food at meal time will leave them even more hungrier, which that can be like a, a kind of a guess and check type of thing but it allows them to experience the consequence of the behavior of skipping dinner or not having what the family is having. Um, having structured, scheduled snack times versus grazing throughout the day does better for a child in the long run. So if, if they are constantly eating bits of food here and there, they will be less likely to have an appetite and attention to sit down and experience the learning that takes place at mealtime. So um, you can do this, but have a bowl of cut up veggies like carrots, cucumbers, snap peas, bell peppers, whatever, out on the counter when you're cooking. I can't tell you how many times, nine times out of 10, I would say if I'm cooking and somebody uh, comes wandering in asking for something to eat or asking what's for dinner, I just have that bowl out there and they grab a handful and they leave or they'll grab a handful and they'll plop down and, and eat more. Letting them eat some veggies prior to the meal may sound counterproductive. You may be thinking, well, you just told me not to let them snack too close you know, to the meal time, but it's really not. And you can do this to your advantage. So if it's a veggie that you know that they like, and you are serving one that you know that they don't like for dinner, or maybe you're trying a new one, you don't know if they're going to like it. Well, at least they'll get a serving of veggies in prior to that meal. And you don't have to stress about them eating it or not, because that's the whole point is them getting a veggie. So if you know that you're going to be planning a new veggie at dinner time for them to try out, you don't know how it's going to go, leave that bowl of veggies out that you know that they do like prior to dinner time, and they'll be able to snack on that and get those veggies in either way. And bonus if they try the new one, that's great too. So let them explore their food is another tip. Let them explore their food. Let your kids get messy. They learn and explore through touch and food is no different. Let them play with dry rice or beans. Let them squish a banana in their fingers. Let them dump the spaghetti on their head like you see in like that stereotypical picture. It's all part of their sensory stimulation. I know it sucks. <laughs> I get itchy just thinking about those scenarios. But when you say things like don't get messy, what a child hears is I shouldn't touch food. This can lead to, I shouldn't touch all foods. I should, I should avoid this. You know, it can lead to negative associations with different foods. So some helpful tips are strip them down to just a diaper and have like a tarp or a shower curtain or, you know, something that's over the floor, you know, adopt a dog that's going to eat <laughs> the food off the floor. I mean, have a mindset and prepare yourself for the mess. Think of wipes right next to you and hand your toddler a towel to practice, to have them practice cleaning up after themselves. So, okay, this one is a really tricky one. This next tip is a really, really tricky one. And I have to get on my husband all this <laughs> about this all the time. 
but try not to bribe your kids to finish their meal or tempt them with dessert if they finish their food. This puts dessert and junk food on a pedestal. I know that so many of us, I've done it before too, and then I've caught myself say, if you just finish your broccoli, then you can have dessert. We, you probably were raised that way too. I know a lot of people who were raised that way. But if you can try and not bribe them with desserts or bribe them with food in general, but especially desserts or sweets or snacks, um, it, it will do so good for them in the long run, even though I know it's challenging. So if at all possible, don't be a caterer. This means don't give in when your child doesn't eat the foods you serve by making them, you know, something else. It's so tempting to do, and and this does tie into that first one about not being a short order cook, but if you only offer foods the child readily accepts, you are teaching them that new foods aren't needed, and also that if they pitch a big enough fit, then you'll cave. When we cater, we also tend to make foods that are more quick and convenient, which tend to be more junky foods. I mean, many times um, I hear parents that complain that their child will only eat high fat or sugary foods. And of course they will. If that's what they're used to getting, they will crave it and hold out for those types of foods. Junk food tastes good. It's designed to taste good. If it actually did something positive for our bodies, we wouldn't be talking about this. But um, we tend to, if you just got done making a huge meal for your family and your kid throws a fit about how they don't want to eat it and you jump up to make something else for them, of course, it's going to be something quick because you just spent an hour in the kitchen. You're not going to whip up another hour's worth of meals. It's going to be the chicken nuggets. It's going to be the reheated hot dog. It's going to be something that's more convenient and less nutritious. So if at all possible, don't be a caterer. Don't be a short order cook. And dinner time is the worst for your toddler. If they've been eating and snacking throughout the day at set times, they're starting to wind down and their nutritional needs may have already been met. Still, include them in the routine of dinner, though. Sitting down as a family is super important. There have been many studies that show this for a number of reasons uh, of why this is so important, whether it's you know food quality, um, connection with family, reduction in weight, and mindless snacking. I mean, there's a lot of studies that link family dinner time is so important. So not only does it include the child in the routine of the family, but it also exposes them to the foods that other people eat. Even if they don't have an entire meal with you, having them sit and observe and be a part of it is super important. So try not to pressure them to finish their plate. If they eat two bites and simply mash the rest of it around, that's okay. Hopefully they've been eating enough throughout the day with healthier snacks and and foods um, that they're that not eating an entire dinner based on the adult portion sizes is, is totally okay. Kids are busy. They're always learning. They're always taking in information at, you know, lightning speed. So helping them to be kind of quiet their minds prior to eating can really make the meal go well. This could be as simple as telling them to, you know, go and wash your hands. And, and even if they kind of splash around for a bit, that's okay. Uh, Having a quiet moment when everyone is at the table can help focus your child as well. So some people will say grace at this point or simply um, just singing like a, a dinner song or something like that can be a great way to just focus and center everyone so that they are all present and, you know, focus on the meal and the task at hand. 
So um, also provide a calm and supportive meal environment. Now I get it. Sometimes you are throwing a sandwich at a kid as you scoop them up and head out the door to something, some sort of activity. It happens. If at all possible, though, make the meals that you do have time for count. Sit down all together as a family. Maybe it's Sunday dinners. Maybe it's a couple days a week, but sit down all as a family. Serve your your food family style. Allow your child to even serve themselves if they're able to, if they're at an appropriate age to do so. Uh, Even really young kids can do that. So talk about each other's day, turn off all the screens and leave the phones away from the table. Everything can wait while you're eating dinner. It's okay. Um, Keep it positive too. Avoid the urge to jump up and do something. You know, it's moms. I I, I mean, some dads too. I I can only speak for myself as a mom, but it's super easy to be like, oh, I got to jump up and get that. Or, oh, I got to wash that. And, oh, you dropped that. I'm going to wash this. I'm going to grab that. Just sit, just sit and be present you will find that your child may be more inclined to try something new if everyone around them is calm. I was talking with someone uh, a while ago who said that their child ate better at school. They had no issues, no battles. um, And then they get home and it's just, you know, chaos and and they, they don't eat properly and all that. Uh, So when we explored the home environment further, it was just that it was chaos there was arguing. One parent wasn't eating at that time. There were food battles. Plates were served up and expectations were placed on the amount of food and and who had to eat what. And, you know, the food police were in high alert. And when at school, though, the child sat with their friends in a room. Each had their own tray of food. There were no rules on what to eat and how much. And the meal was just in a generally more enjoyed format. So if this is true, or maybe the opposite is true, and they eat better at home than they do at school or daycare or wherever, take a closer look at the setting and the style of the mealtime. There may be something there. You know, one of the other things that um, Ellen Satter mentions in the book, Child of Mine, is how a lot of parents are in that mindset of finding something my kid will eat, or maybe grandparents are in that mindset of what will your kids eat? And she really encourages parents to get out of that mindset. You know, when when somebody asks you, oh, we're making dinner, what will your kids eat? Tell them they'll eat what's being served. And if they don't, that's their choice. They, again, you shouldn't cater to please the child. And the child should be offered a variety of food choices and be able to allow to choose and pick what they will eat from what is available. Um, you know, in other cultures, we don't, they don't have kids menus. They don't have that. They, the kids eat what the grownups eat. Kids eat sushi, kids eat squid, kids eat all sorts of different foods that the grownups eat because that's what's served and that's what they see being modeled. Kids also grow up eating and preferring what their parents eat and prefer. And that's actually studied. Like, think about it. Kids in other countries, like I said, They can grow up eating spicy or sour foods and they don't bat an eye. But kids who are limited in their variety grow up not liking certain types of foods and possibly, you know, possibly it's just from lack of exposure. I grew up not eating fish. I think it was because my mom hated cooking it. I remember her saying she hates cooking fish. So we never ate it. And it wasn't until I was in college and my then boyfriend, now husband, made me salmon. And at first I was like, oh, I'm not going to like this. I don't like salmon. But I tried it and my world was forever open. I was like, what is this dynamo food source that I've been missing out on? I had grown up saying I don't like fish when in fact, I love it. 
It's my mom who doesn't like it, but I grew up adopting that that preference. Another example, which I, I giggle at all the time. So my sister hates tomatoes. She happened to mention that in the most innocent of ways in conversation, you know, in front of one of my daughters. And that daughter started hating tomatoes too. She refused to eat them no matter what. So we started growing grape tomatoes in our garden. And when we went out to pick them, I noticed that she was picking them off the vine and just like popping them in her mouth. (laughs) And she was eating them even before we could bring them into the house. And I asked her, hey, what changed? When, When did you start liking tomatoes? And she looked at me with like the most confused look. And she's like, what are you talking about? She thought that they were red grapes. <laughs> so she was eating them. So once she actually tried a tomato, she realized, oh, they're, they're not so bad. She, she loves them. But because her aunt didn't like them, she figured that she didn't like them too. So the point is, you don't have to pretend you like foods or certain foods when you don't like them. But limit the attention you give to that. So instead of saying, I hate broccoli, try saying, I don't want any broccoli today. I'm going to eat these carrots instead. Or broccoli is not my favorite, but I'll have a little bite because it helps me stay strong. You know, some of those types of phrasing, it's all about how you phrase things. Even just putting some on your plate, whether you have an intention to eat it or not, will help your child have a positive association association with it. So said another way, your child will grow up to feel about eating the way you do. So think about that. If you have some mental restrictions around or or conflicts around food, they likely will too. And if that's scary to you, you're not alone. Many of us have our own food issues that we are uh, working through. And so you just, the whole point of me bringing that up is to not scare you, but it's to make you aware of, of the fact that they will pick up on things. Um, And first let's, let's go back to veggies for a second. Who decided that this was a thing that children hate. All my kids love veggies. Most of the kids I know like veggies. I I cringe when I see that kind of stereotype portrayed in the media because for one, it teaches kids that they shouldn't like veggies. And two, it teaches the parents that veggies must be forced. They don't. Your kids will come around to them and learn that they like them. Maybe not all of them, maybe not every single veggie, but many veggies. It's okay to add some fat to them. I want to to just throw that out there. It's okay to add fat to veggies. Maybe a little butter or maybe a little like a good quality grass-fed butter or ghee or olive oil, you know, or some salt and pepper to dress them up. Veggies don't have to be plain. (laughs) They could be seasoned and that's okay. Kids need fat and the fat in those sources like ghee or butter or oils helps to absorb the fat soluble vitamins that are in the veggies that's a whole nother topic but i always like to throw that out there because a lot of times people think that veggies need to be plain and boring and they don't throw some garlic on them throw some salt and pepper on them season them up like it it can be a delightful experience for your kids um so focus on positive behaviors at mealtime like you know, saying things like you tried something new or, you know, you use your fork, <laughs> good for you, versus focusing on what they ate or how much they ate. That, that always, always turn things into a positive about what the, what the uh, action was, not necessarily the quantity around it. Also, kids tend to live up to their labels. So um, if you say things like, oh, he doesn't eat broccoli or, oh, she never tries new things or, oh, she's not a good eater. As parents, we get frustrated, and of course you are allowed to get frustrated, but simply being aware of the words we choose can go a long way. 
So they, the kids will tend to live up to their labels and think like, oh, well, I can't not be the person now who doesn't like broccoli. So I'm, I'm just going to continue to not like broccoli. It might, it might restrict them or hinder them from actually trying it one day. So focus on the positive behaviors like, oh, you're so creative. You dipped your carrot in your ketchup or I love having dinner with you tonight. But if they do try something new, please, oh, please do not make a big deal about it <laughs> because kids tend to have that uh, that reaction of, I don't want you to be proud of me. You know, I know my kids have done that before. So if they try something new, I know you're going to be doing your happy dance inside and internally you're like, oh my gosh, they finally ate a green thing. I get it. But try not to make it a big ordeal. Simply comment on like, oh, did you like it? How did you think of it? Do you want to try it in a different way next time? You know, have a general conversation about it and celebrate later when they go to bed. So, all right. I know this this episode went really long and a lot longer than my episodes normally go, but there's a lot to cover here and I only kind of scratched the surface, but... I will, like I said, put that um, a link to that book that's called Child of Mine by Ellen Satter in there. There's a lot of really great um, information in there. And then she does go over kind of some portion sizes, which, you know, it's it's a lot smaller than you think when it comes to uh, different sizes. Basically for like toddlers, about a tablespoon is a portion size for most things. So um, just be mindful of that, that if you're scooping like a half cup of broccoli on, the, on a two-year-old's plate and they're not finishing it all, that's okay. Even like one or two like, leaves or whatever bushels or trees of broccoli is probably fine for them. Um, so hopefully you've gleaned a few uh, good things from this. Um, if you have specific questions on this, as always, please reach out to me. I am here to answer questions. Um, and I know the topic of picky eaters is is one that is um, really has a lot of, it's emotionally charged. It's got a lot of, a lot of emotions behind this, but I want you to know you are doing the best you can for your kids. Your best is good enough. And if you feel like you want to enhance what you're doing currently, you can seek out those sources of Ellen Satter's book. I am available for if you'd like to do a consultation about your kid, please reach out to me. Or if you simply just have a question or, or need an idea on a, a thing that you're noticing, please reach out. I am more than happy to, to answer your questions. So again, I appreciate you so much for being here. I am loving doing these episodes for you. And I love the feedback that I get because this is, these episodes are for you. I know it seems like I'm bouncing around because we talked about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease last week. And now we're talking about picky eaters this week. But the point is, is that I, I'm doing, I'm trying to do episodes that uh, will be the most beneficial for the people that I talk to and, and the people that are listening. And that is you. So if you have a specific topic that you want me to dive deeper into or or um, a condition that you want me to pick apart and talk about the nutritional components of it, I'm happy to do that. Send me an email with your suggestion or, or find me on social media and send me a message. I'm happy to do that for you. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And if anything comes up, please let me know. Bye.